The title of uh, the message tonight, as I said this morning, is You Are a Doppelganger. And I trust that some of you have been Googling that word uh, tonight. You truly are a doppelganger. Let me explain. Uh, just a few years ago, what was that, three or four years, whenever Johnny and Tessa were getting married in South Bend, Indiana, uh, I flew over for the wedding and I got to Chicago. That's the nearest international airport. And I got through the customs and all of those things. It was make, I made my way across the domestic terminal to get to the short hop to South Bend, Indiana. And as I got there, you know where you go in these shuttle things? There I saw him and I recognized him. That is the guy who plays the flute at Hillsborough Bible Week. Imagine him here and me here at the same time. So I walked right up to him and I said something like that. Imagine seeing you here. And he looked at me. And I looked at him and think, why is he not speaking to me? Surely he knows who I am. And then I said something else to him like, imagine what a coincidence he's here on holiday. And only when he spoke did I realize that it wasn't the guy that plays the flute at Hillsborough Bible League at all. He was an American. And I was embarrassed. And I said, I'm so sorry. I says, your double lives in Ireland. And he laughed, you know. He says, an easy mistake to make or something like that. And oh, I was so embarrassed. It was so like the man. It was his double. He was a dead ringer for him. That's a doppelganger. Doppelganger is a German word double goer, double, double goer. And it, rough translation, that's what it is. Literally means somebody's double. Now, among seven million people on the face of the earth, you have to be the doppelganger for somebody somewhere. Uh, a few years ago, I used to go maybe once or twice a year down to Dungannon Church there and preach. And every single time I was there, somebody always came to me and said, you have a ringer in this town. There's somebody who's dead like you in this town. Never, get, never did get to meet my doppelganger ever. But somebody they thought was really like me. Dear help them. Uh, wouldn't wish that my worst enemy, but there you go. Uh, so the Bible has got doppelgangers. We're going to look at some tonight. And let's see if we recognize ourselves at the end. Number one, the image of the creature. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, here's what it reads. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In God's image. In God's likeness. What must our forebears in the garden have been like? Created in pristine condition, full faculties of mind, body, and spirit, full of vitality and health and boundless energy, at the very peak of their God-given powers, with great intellect and tremendous creativity, and placed in such an idyllic, wonderful environment that was bursting full of life and flora and fauna. In the midst of all of this, 
was Adam and Eve. Think of somebody who had the most brilliant mind, like Einstein, or the greatest wisdom, like Solomon, or the most fantastic physique, like an Adonis, or the most handsome face, or the most winsome personality. That's Adam. That's Adam. I'm not even going to start what Eve looked like. But she must have been something. She must have been absolutely beautiful beyond words. That's Adam and Eve. No wonder Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. It was very good. Now, that image is hard for us to grasp today, really because since that Adam and until the last Adam came, which was Jesus, nobody else really had ever been in that position. Nobody else until Jesus came as a man had this, quite the same privileges and faculties and that unique uninhibited relationship with God the Father, made in the image of God. The divine imprimatur was stamped upon him. God created man. And when God created man, he did it differently than the rest of the animal kingdom. He spoke them into existence. But when it came to man, as it were, he rolled up his sleeves, he got his hands dirty, as it were, and he formed man of the dust of the earth. He got personally involved. This was the peak of his creation. And he put within man something that animals do not possess, spirit. He put spirit within man. You and I are not just some higher order of the evolutionary chain as evolutionists would try to make us believe. We are different. See, animals go on instinct. They instinctively do what they're designed to do. Now, it is true that they have some reasoning powers. And it is true that they have some emotions. I'm sure we've all seen out there in Africa, perhaps, where uh, I remember watching one nature program not so long ago, and it was an elephant who, who died, and, and its, its mate was standing for days watching it. And every now and again, it kicked it to try to get it to move. And it was grieving for its partner. It's some emotion. And animals have that. They, they have some reasoning power, some to a greater degree than the other. But they go by instinct. They do what they instinctively do. Those little turtles who come out of their shells in those beaches at a certain day of the year, a certain evening of the year, once a year, they instinctively head to the sea. Nobody told them to do that. No parent taught them that. They just do it. Those salmon instinctively flow upstream to give birth, to spawn. They do that instinctively. So it has a soul, the ability to reason, to some degree, some emotion, to some degree, but it's instinct that drives it. But it has no spirit. 
God gave man a body so that he could be world conscious, conscious of the world around him. God gave man a soul so that he could be self-conscious, but he gave man a spirit that he could be God-conscious. And that's the thing that separates us from the animal kingdom. We are God-conscious. We can choose to worship God. Yes, God could make the fields of the trees clap their hands. He could pick stones to praise him if he wanted, but we choose by our own volition because we are spirit and there's something that God has made us in a way that we voluntarily want to worship the Lord God. He gave us that capacity that we can be indwelt by him, by his spirit. God doesn't indwell animals, but by his Holy Spirit, he indwells human beings. When God came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, Adam was totally eased with his creator. There's no sin to inhibit the relationship. There was no failures or faults to mar the wonderful intimacy that they had one with the other. I wonder what the conversations would be like. I wonder, we don't know how long that lasted before he fell, but I wonder what the conversation, I wonder what God said to Adam, what Adam said back to God. Wouldn't you like to be in a fly on a wall to hear that conversation? But we do know a little bit about it because it tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, a little bit of the conversation. And certainly there's a lot more in chapter 3, which we won't read. In verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to him, and Adam to, to, uh, to Adam to see what he would call them. And so forth. So we see there was a, a conversation. Uh, there was an intimacy where, where God could come to him at a certain time of the day. And there would be this wonderful moment when they would share together. And God, no doubt, shared his plans, many plans with, with Adam. And no doubt, Adam talked back to him. But we're not privy to all of that. But that was the image that Adam was made in the image of God, able to converse with the Creator in a, an intelligent way, able to get to know the heart of God, all of that that an animal can't do because God's image was stamped upon him. Made in the image of God. But then there's another image, the image of the sinner. We know that Adam and Eve's first two sons were Cain and Abel. But listen to what it says in Genesis, 3 and 5, Genesis 5 and 3, beg your pardon. And Adam begot a son in his own likeness after his image. Now that applies to all of Adam's sons, including Cain and Abel. Adam begot a son in his own likeness after his image. This is the second double ganger. What image, 
What likeness are his sons? A fallen image. A fallen likeness. Like Adam after the fall. If only they had been like Adam before the fall. But this is after the fall. They were the dead ringer for their dad. And I'm not talking here physically, although indeed they may have been physically. But they were the double of their dad as far as their nature was concerned. Now it is a fallen nature. They inherited their dad's fallen nature. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, that because of one man's sin entered the world, death was spread to all men because all have sinned. Suddenly sin was in the very DNA of every human being from Adam. We inherited that. We took after the nature of Adam. We were just like him. And we sinned. Yes, he sinned us into lostness. But we personally sinned because we had his nature. So man was only a shadow of his former self. Man is sinful, he's corrupt, he's broken, he's fallen, he's hopeless, he's helpless. He's a rebel against God, his creator. He even denies and defies his creator. At that moment, whenever Adam, remember Adam is the one who was given the command not to touch a certain tree. And when he broke that command, he rebelled against God's order. And every human being ever since has rebelled against God's order. It's our nature. It's our nature to do that. We're sinners by nature. And so we rebel against God. Listen to what John Phillips says. The Bible makes no apology for introducing God into the nature of things. The theory of evolution which leaves God out of everything is not so much a science as a propaganda offensive. A convenient tool in the hands of the atheist or the communist or the humanist for postulating a universe without God. This is why the theory of evolution is so popular. It gives the unbeliever a working hypothesis for atheism. He can, at least to his own satisfaction, explain the universe without including God. So either the humanistic scientist is right or the Holy Spirit is right, the believer would rather trust the Holy Spirit than some man's ever-changing views. So we shouldn't be surprised that man is in rebellion against God. It's his nature. It's his nature. We inherited that from our forefathers. Men and women are all sons and daughters of Adam by nature. David said, I was born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All of us who's ever had a child knows that that child's not very old until it knows what the word no is. <laughs> and once it knows what that word no is, that defiant no, it likes to use it, doesn't it? And that's where the discipline starts to come in, isn't it? It's inbuilt. It's inbred. It's part of our 
old nature, the old Adamic nature. But then here's another image. The image of the Savior. Paul said in Colossians 1.15, Christ who is the image of the invisible God. Writer of the Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, speaking about him, says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Jesus is the express image of the Father God. We're not talking here about physical features. We're talking about nature. Jesus himself, in John chapter 14, alludes to this. In verse 7, Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Philip, you want to know what the Father's like? Just look at me. That's all you need to know about the Father is look at me. Yes, distinct, but indivisible. but we want to know about God. Look at Jesus. Everything he did was the Father's will, was the Father's nature to do, was the Father's character carried out on earth through Jesus as a human being. The express image of his person. He who was the image of the invisible God came to us in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now this is a mystery beyond all mysteries. That the second person in the divine Godhead who from the countless ages past who sat at the right hand of the Father with all of that glory, that he, who was the express image of the Father, would come in the likeness, in the image of sinful flesh. You still with me? He who was the image of the Father would come in human flesh, would look just like us who would so identify with us, he would look like us. God clothed himself in human flesh to come so intimately close to human beings that he lived among us. 
John says we touched him. He took upon himself the very nature of man except the sin. How incomprehensible is that? Our God, when you think of the Advent, the Christmas story, in the womb of Mary, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. That he who was the express image of God would become in our image would come to this earth in a human body. And thank God when he went back again, he didn't divest himself of that human body. He still got it. He still got it. What a thrill that's going to be whenever we see him like that. Romans 8, 3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know, you could dwell in a week in that verse just trying to get your head around it. And you never would get your head around it. You just have to accept it. Such was the love that the Father had for us that he would give his own son and that his own son would give up all of those privileges, give up all of that glory to become like one of us. And this is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind, verse 5 of Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, the word is, Morphe, in essence, God, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery, to be equal with God, or something to be held on to, but taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of sin, uh, coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, schema, outward appearance. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. What condescension that the second person in the divine Godhead would come to this earth and take upon himself the form of a man. Take upon himself the nature of man and yet have the nature of God. Somebody, I forget who it was, many years ago said that, he, that Jesus, he was so much like man, it was as though he wasn't God, and yet he was so much like God, it was as though he wasn't man. Because he was the God-man. The God-man. Romans chapter 8.
Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He had to come in a human body. He had to come as a man. And he went onto that cross and gave his life for us as a perfect, sinless man, the last Adam. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The original versions say he made him a sin offering for us. He was the perfect sin offering. He was the perfect lamb of God. The lamb had to be without spot or blemish before it was slain as a sacrifice for sin. And Jesus was the perfect sinless lamb of God. What a wonderful gospel we have tonight. Amen. It's beautiful. Let me just read one more portion of scripture here at this point. In Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read this actually from the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 from the New Living Translation. The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came, who came to worship. If they had provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ, when he came into the world, said, You did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, but you have given me a body so that I may obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burnt on the altar or with offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, oh God, just as it is written in the Scriptures. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings or animals burnt on the altar or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he added, look, I have come to do your will. He counsels the first covenant in order to establish the second. 
And what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did you see that? And what God wants for us is to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Had to come in human form. Had to become the perfect sacrifice for us in order to take away our sins. In order to deal with them forever. Amen? The image of the Savior. And then finally, the image of the saint. The image of the saint. I love this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, I'll read this from the, the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 15, you know, is the resurrection chapter. Let me just read a few verses here. Well, I'll read from verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow up into a plant unless it dies first. So in other words, you put a seed in, a seed doesn't come up. A seed's got to die before a plant comes up. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a dry little seed of wheat or whatever it is you're planting. But then God gives it a new body, just as he wants it to have. A different kind of plant grows from each kind of seed. And just as there are different kinds of seeds and plants, so there are also different kinds of flesh, whether of humans, animals, birds, or fish. By the way, this is one of the reasons why Christians bury. Because we bury somebody, a believer, it's like sowing a seed that will one day come to life again. There are bodies in heaven. There are bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the beauty of the earthly bodies. The sun is one kind of glory. The moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their beauty and brightness. It's the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies which die, die and decay will be different when they are resurrected, for they will never die. Our bodies, are now dis our bodies now disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. They are weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. They are natural human bodies now, but when they are raised, listen to this, they will be spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, also there will be spiritual bodies. Ah, see, when you die and you're raised, it'd not be the same old body just put together again with all of its limitations. It'll be a spiritual body. Yes, we'll recognize each other, we'll see each other and know each other, but there'll be something completely different about us that we can never have on this earth that we can only have in the glory. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, a life-giving spirit. What came first was the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Notice it didn't call him the second Adam. He's only called the last Adam and the second man. 
Every human being has an earthly body just like Adam's. But our heavenly bodies, listen to it, but our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ's. <laughs> That's a lot different than this old earthly body just being put back together again. No, no. We're going to have a body that's just like Christ. And what kind of body did Christ have in the resurrection? The kind of body that Christ had was when all the disciples was waiting in that room, suddenly he appeared in the midst. He didn't knock the door. He didn't come through the door. He just appeared. He just appeared in the midst. And then he disappeared. The ones on the, on the road to Emmaus, after they had that wonderful conversation, they invited him to stay. Their eyes were holding. They didn't know who it was. God just supernaturally just held that information back at that point so that he could show them himself through the word. See, the only way we're going to know Christ right now is through the word. So he's teaching them something. But when it came to mealtime and he broke the bread, suddenly they God opened their eyes and they could see him. And you know what happened? He just disappeared. He was gone. He could do that. Because he had a resurrection body that's different than an earthly body. Sure, it would look the same. Whenever the disciples eventually saw him, they recognized him, but it was different. It was different. Now you and I are going to have a different body. Listen, this body, this earthly body we have is suited only to this planet we're on. NASA knows that. That's why with those astronauts right now that's spinning around this earth every hour and a half, for six months they're up there. Hours and hours and hours every single day. They have to get on their exercise bikes and ride and ride and ride and ride. Why? Because their bone density from the moment they go up there starts to weaken because we're not made for zero gravity. Not made for it. Bodies can't cope with it. This atmosphere that presses on us. Gravity that keeps us down. If the gravity was weaker than it is, our bone density, it would be in a terrible shape. But if it was worse than what it is, it would crush us. We're made, physical bodies are made for this earth. But when we get into heaven, that's a whole different thing. We're going to need a new body, and he's going to give us a spiritual body just like his. Isn't that good news? Amen. We're going to be just like him. <laughs> Without any limitations, we're going to be just like him. Just as we are now like Adam, verse 49, the man of the earth, so will we be someday like Christ, the man from heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, we will have a body like unto his glorious body. Isn't this wonderful tonight to think that he condescended, he who was the express image of God became like us so that we could become like him. <laughs> he took upon himself our image so that we could take upon ourselves his image. Yes, even though right now we're sons of Adam, but spiritually we're sons of God. And even though our physical bodies are sons of Adam, but there's something inside us 
new life is inside us. Yes, we're still held back with this old body. In fact, Romans, Paul talks about we're waiting, like the earth is groaning and creaking, waiting for its redemption. We're waiting for the redemption of the body. And then it'll be complete when we have a body just like his. I think that's wonderful news tonight. You know, those two on the road to a mess, Jesus disappeared. They met with the disciples and they were excited. And they told them. And then Jesus appeared to them. And they really, really, really struggled to believe that it was him. He says, no, it's me. They were thinking they were seeing a ghost. You know what he did? You can read it in Luke 24 towards the end. You know what he did? He says, give me something to eat. And he took, I think it was a piece of bread and fish, and he ate it, it says. He ate it. Does that mean we'll eat in heaven? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But he ate that which we was given to show them that he wasn't a ghost. And yet, even though he could eat, yet he could disappear. How can you begin to understand that? We can't. It's beyond our comprehension. But one day we'll experience that. That's another good reason to go to heaven, isn't it? When you die. We'll not be stuck with this feeling, getting older, creaking body. Get out of bed in the morning, it takes you longer now than I ever did. Isn't that right, Raymond? It really does, doesn't it? I used to bound up those stairs at that church about three or four at a time. Now I'm thinking, now you know why I got the lift in. <laughs> well, you're not here during the week, I'll be up that lift. Because the body slows, it weakens. Do you ever notice when you get older, you start to get smaller? Do you ever notice that? Because we get stooped a little bit, stooped, the body just starts to go. But when we get there, we'll have a new body, like onto his glorious body. What a thrill that's going to be. That's a good doppelganger right there, isn't it, eh? That's a good double to have, to be his double, to be just like him. Now we're not going to be gods or little gods or anything like that, but we're going to be just like him in so many ways. It's going to be wonderful. Glory to God. So, I told you, you are a doppelganger, and you should be proud of it. <laughs> Thank God you are. In the right way. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made that supreme sacrifice for us. We can scarcely take it in, Lord, that you would stoop so low to come down to this earth to be like one of us. You who created all things. And yet you did it so that we could be like you. We bless you for this tonight. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that it's life changing. And we have been changed through it. So we bless you tonight. We give you thanks for all that you've done for us. And all that you're doing. And all that you will yet do. Lord, our future is bright, it's glorious, it's all of eternity, and you will unravel and reveal all your plans for us 
throughout all eternity. Thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you, Lord, that we have come to know you in a personal way. That our lives are hid with Christ in God. Through no merit of our own, but through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this tonight. In his wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Amen.